Today on Podcast by the Bay, part two of our discussion with the author Carrie McClellan of the book Silicon City, San Francisco in the Long Shadow of the Valley. There is too much of this conversation which is happening at a particular level um, or is happening with only particular stakeholders at the table. And we need to begin to recognize that what was so special and created here what has what what was fought for during the AIDS crisis, fought for by the Black Panthers, fought for by any number of immigrant groups that had to sort of stake their own claim here, fought for by every family that came to the Bay Area, is still alive and needs to be preserved. Where we discuss the current state of our society here in the San Francisco Bay Area on an after-interview discussion on today's episode of Podcast by the Bay. Stay tuned. Podcast by the Bay is a production of Bay City Communications and is sponsored by Liberty Realty. Liberty Realty, serving the peninsula and surrounding areas since 1986 for all your real estate needs. www.liberty-realtyinvestments.com and also Highway Soul Productions. www.highwaysoul.com And now... Another podcast by the Bay. Okay, welcome to Podcast by the Bay. This is Andre, and we thank you for being with us again on part two of our discussion with the author, Carrie McLellan, regarding his book, Silicon City, San Francisco and the Long Shadow of the Valley. And so this episode really features the after-interview discussion that we actually had with author Carrie McLellan and really his vision about society here in the San Francisco Bay Area. Both Patrick and I pushed the discussion with a lot of questions uh, Carrie actually had a lot of great ideas and just really helped elevate the discussion to a new level. So it was a lot of fun. We definitely appreciate Carrie for taking the time for speaking with Patrick and myself here on Podcast by the Bay. So with that, we're going to open up to after interview discussion with the author of Silicon City, Carrie McLellan. Stay tuned. But to, to be honest, Carrie, we could go this discussion. I mean, you could go. We could we could have a discussion like this for a couple hours because it's so good. It's and it's and there's so much things. I mean, one of the things and and, and I always and I was thinking I just want to get your feedback. And me and Patrick were talking recently about housing, and one of the things that there's the, is the income disparity, right? Income disparity right now is so big here in the Bay Area, right? Income disparity is huge, and we I was I was looking at something, and I'm looking at the way that the policies and the really the approach to housing has been this rapid growth and a rapid building, especially around apartment buildings. Right. And, and I think while there's a need for apartment, I think we also, I actually also came to realization that if we really want to provide wealth and get the income disparity, we really need to create that opportunity for people to actually invest into the community. And instead of maybe building specifically apartments, actually focus on a building homes for for purchase 
and really provide that ability for middle class to actually get into the market and create that wealth equity because otherwise we're just going to stay in this rat race. How do you feel about something like that? That's a great question. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I do think there's a, a real struggle post um, Prop 13 to figure out what homeownership means in for modern Californians, for particularly young people or um, people approaching middle age or who have families, et cetera. Um, and it just makes the property tax base for so many um, longstanding uh, for, I mean, you guys probably know about property thing, but what it, what it, what it has meant oh, yeah. is yeah, yeah, yeah. that, that the baby boomer generation and those who've been able to own, own houses for a long period of time, their property taxes are suppressed. Um, and to cover that shortfall property, property taxes on new homeowners are just very high. Um, compared to what they would be in a leveler market. So there's a lot, well, and you there's, know, so, there's so yeah. much that needs to be done yeah. to subsidize the housing market that I don't, I, I, I think some real estimates need to be put to figuring out what the numbers are to, to pull off the various proposals that are necessary. Cause I'm actually, I, I, I'm super in favor of home ownership for genuinely lower middle class uh, and middle class mm-hmm. people, but the middle class in, in the Bay Area now earns about two hundred plus thousand dollars a year. I, I'm 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 going to give you, you know, some food for thought. You you, you might have not yeah. thought of. I'm I'm a real estate broker for thirty eight years. I'm going to tell you we do not have a we do not have a, a shortage of housing. Now yeah. and you know why we don't have a shortage of housing? The disparity is this: sixty percent of your people that own houses in San Mateo and Santa Clara County are senior citizens. And you know yeah. what? They're not, they're not selling. And the reason yeah. why they're not selling, they don't want to pay taxes, even right. though they got an exemption for a half a million. So one thing that everybody's overlooking in this big picture of the scenario is the shortage of housing is those senior citizens or those baby boomers aren't moving. They don't mm-hmm. want to pay taxes. Now, that doesn't mean a few of them are. I mean, I sold my brother's house. He, he moved to, uh, uh, to, um, to uh, uh, what was it, Grass Valley, Penn Valley. Uh, from a home in Pacifica that he sold, that I sold a two bedroom, one bath for a million dollars to a home in Penn Valley for 365. But I think we, what we're always missing is the inequity of housing has gone up, food has gone up, but guess what? Your tax brackets have not been reorientated. And this yeah, is even in the case for somebody, somebody that makes 200,000 a year. If you make 200,000, 250, you're, you're paying it all in taxes. We don't yeah. encourage people to save. It, it's got to be a tax. It's got to be. Well, there has to be, there, there has to be more business taxation in the Bay Area. It just can't be, it mm. can't be that this is such a like lucky, beautiful, mm-hmm. special, mm-hmm. um, synergistic community with Stanford there and Berkeley there and all the lawyers who make the business work quickly and all the innovation happening and all the venture capitalists there. And it's still, and it being significantly unattractive to people to keep running mm-hmm. businesses there if the business taxes go up a little bit. That would do, it would do a ton to sort of Absolutely. recapture, recapture some wealth from the activity, put something mm-hmm. of a wealth tax on the genuine billionaires who are in the area and create something of a public coffer to address, I, you know, I think anybody who's making less than $300,000 in the Bay Area right now is mm-hmm. choking, you know, because if you make somewhere between 200, <laughs> totally and, true. Totally you know true. what I mean? If you make between 200 and $300,000 a year, now there's a way to live in the Bay Area where you know, you, you, you head out to the East Bay a little bit further and you buy a cheaper house and you sort of invest in that community 
and you take your mm-hmm. time and you commute the way you can. But that's not how most people are being incentivized by these companies to make choices. And so, you know, the Google bus lines run up and down a very expensive real estate market and they run up and down a very attractive school community. And so, mm-hmm. you know, and for those people who are trying to stay in San Francisco and keep their families there, God bless them. But like, Anybody who's at a, a tech company feels the pressure to put their kids in a private school, do all these other kind of things. Now, we can talk about the wisdom of all those choices. I don't have full empathy for all of them, but I do, I, 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 don't, I don't believe all of them are wise, but I do have empathy for the situation of feeling trapped in a series of economic mm-hmm. choices, um, no matter what amount of money you're being making. Now, it's founders, but, it's, but go it's, back. it's, it's, a, it's go the venture back capital community, and it's the... It's right. the sort of billionaire class that needs to start paying for some alleviation of this. I also, you guys are, I don't know where you are fully, but like anywhere south of South San Francisco needs to start recognizing that it's miracle of low density housing is, is mm-hmm. has to be short lived if they want to participate in a society that doesn't look as crazy. Well, one of our, one of our mate, one of our major problems, which is just as, as bad as housing is the transportation. And the mm-hmm. major thing with all the stakeholders that we've interviewed on podcasts by the Bay, we do not have a regional transportation system that hooks to everything. We still have 70 to 80% of the people in the, uh, the single driver. We are our transportation crisis. system. Yes, it's a major, and major crisis. The more, the more it elaborates, the more it has to go out to Fresno, right? And Stockton, yeah. and yeah. Sacramento. The the more the more time goes by, the actual the greater burden um, of that there needs to be in terms of a, a transportation system to close the gap. Tell me about Dave Tanner, the Woodside well, City Council. Tell me what he. Well, well, and, and I think this kind of highlights the thing because Patrick's bringing up Dave Tanner. And so there are solutions out there, and there's people who have vision to actually solve this problem. The, Dave Tanner wants to create a high-speed rail from San Bruno, which is the Tamferan right by the airport right there, all the way out to Stockton. Mm-hmm. And so they have this vision, and he actually he created this video. We actually put it on our website, so any of the listeners out there, they could check it out. But it's 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 uh, it's a really cool concept, and I think that – it's been kind of overlooked by some of the agencies in the Bay Area in favor of other alternatives. And, but, you know, and I think that there are, I think, solutions out there. And I think that uh, I, I saw yesterday and I pointed it out to Patrick, Miami is building a monorail system. And that's something on the peninsula. If they had a monorail system up and down the peninsula, like on El Camino or somewhere, and, you know, it, it might alleviate some of this more you know immediate kind of uh things but i think i i think yeah yeah, north and south but but i think it it goes back to you know we are all living in a society think about this patrick this is going to connect you to me to carrie basically our parents generation they lived in san francisco where did our parents move they moved to daily city right our our our, the, Mm -hmm. the kids of daily city when they grew up, they where did they move? They made it moved out to the East Bay. They made it moved out to you know a little bit further down the peninsula. Well, now the people growing up in the East Bay, they have to move out to Sacramento. They have to move out to Tracy. They have to move. So we're getting it's the it's it's re uh, it's re you know the whole package is circling again and again. But it becomes the cycle becomes more and more vicious as it comes. So, but one of the factors is is okay. You have people in the Bay Area right now. 
and they want to buy a home and they're middle class. Well, it's almost it's almost impossible unless you're making two two people making two hundred thousand dollars a year. But let's say we actually focus on actually home low uh, middle middle uh, maybe five six hundred thousand uh, dollars you know homes that we can actually you know get for purchase for these low middle class people designated for them where they can build equity they can actually create wealth and it gets rid of this whole income disparity issue where actually you're get you're getting you're able to get out of the system because if you're renting and I rented for 10 years you're never going to get out of the system no matter what you do you can make $200,000 in the bear you will never get out of that 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 cycle of debt you can never get out of it you're stuck and so until we create those i uh, ability for people we're going to have to move out to Fresno. We're going to have to move out to Stockton, and and there's there's really no other choice. So, you know, I think that's really, you know, we we I think there there's opportunities there, but how are we looking at them? I mean, I, I mean, sometimes some of the it's a, it's a region yeah. of like it's a region of a thousand solutions and no sacrifice. So the people mm-hmm. who really need to there's you know I I think the high speed rail idea is a fine idea. Of course, in all ideas, the devil's in the details. But fine, that's a great idea. SB 50 had a lot of issues with it, but, but mm-hmm. that gets around, that gets around some of the issues of having to build more transit to solve some of the housing inequities. Suddenly you have some density around transit hubs and that would begin to alleviate some pressure on the system. You'd have to also marry that with a ton more affordability investments, whether it's towards ownership or whether it's towards renting to compensate for the fact that SB50, the development that SB50 is going to spur is going to, to, you know, create new hot markets in the region that displace some people, et cetera, et cetera. You're going to have to radically invest in affordability if SB50 passes, but it's a good idea to get around the fact that you can't get the amount of momentum around any transit solution, but nobody wants to sacrifice. Nobody, you know, well, it, it, well, and you know, well, you know, in my art, my art, my, my, your grandparents well, don't want to move. You know what I mean? Like funders don't want their businesses to be, ta- you know, businesses well, don't want to you know be taxed I, more. And who's going to we, give it up? Nobody wants a navigation center in their own neighborhood. Well, it, who's going to give up power, so that, you know, who's going to sacrifice yeah. something to make sure that we can relieve some pressure well, on the system? Gary, Gary you know, on the transportation is the, your Caltrain, your BART, your SAM trams, mm-hmm. they're all fighting for the same federal and state tax dollar based mm-hmm. on ridership. So they fight independently for the same because that's survivorship mm-hmm. for their people, their employees that worked for BART or their employees that worked for Caltrans or Samtram. So we got to get them all on the same plate that they're not going to lose their jobs, their careers. So we interviewed um, Seamus Murphy, and he said Samtram's buses are for the elderly, the poor, and disabled. He oh. said that right live. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, but, 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 and I, I but, didn't prompt him for that. Well, well, Patrick, you know, I want to I want to hit on Kerry's point because he brings up an excellent point. And I actually asked Senator Weiner when I saw him at the the California Democratic Convention about this. Why are we focusing? Uh, you know, what? Why are we approaching the SB fifty this way? And here's my approach. I think instead of mandating ever across the board that everybody has to do this. And this is what I experience in quality work. Cause when I work in quality work, you don't just go and say, okay, everybody has to do it. You start with the people that are engaged. You start with the people that want to do this. And there's a plenty of cities that want to be a part of it. Now there's a plenty of cities that don't too. And that's what he pointed out. He said, there's too many people that don't want to do this. But I said, 
I think if we started with the 40% of cities that do want to become engaged, they're very progressive, they want to help participate, and we start with them, I think we can start making a dent in this process and actually move forward because it, you're going to have all this other resistance otherwise. So that would be my approach on, on, on approaching these kind of things is you work with the people that are engaged, that want to be a part of it, and you start with there because I think the idea of building around transit, the idea of building where the zoning makes a lot more sense than going to open areas, open spaces, uh, you know, wilderness and t- cleaning up that turf to build housing, which I think is unacceptable. Yeah. I, I accept what you say, Andrew, but the fly in the ointment is this. There is no freaking study that shows building near quarter transportation places, which you get a federal and state tax dollar credit, that people actually use public transportation. And when we have an inefficient public transportation system, you're even putting more problems. I think we need to build the transportation system and make it efficient. If we, and Andre and I argue, you know, the governor says we need 3.5 million in housing. Well, guess what? I've asked every uh, assembly person, I've asked senators, well, how much is that workforce housing? How much is that subsidized housing? How much is that senior citizen housing? You know what the answer is? They have no freaking clue. Yeah, no, I agree with you. We're, we're, I, we're I, just I, blowing I, it I, No clue. I, no clue. I, I agree with okay. you. It would be ideal if, if a transit system could be built that would this work. And it would be also ideal if um, SB50 came with the sort of like affordability metrics that I think even Scott wanted to put into it, you know, that ended up getting kind of drummed out of it over time. So there's... The, the the there needs to start being thinking though at scale, and I I I kind of in principle agree with the idea of sort of like making things voluntary and letting people welcome into it. But nobody wants a navigation center in their community. Nobody. Nobody. Not not a single South Bay uh, city council has had a what's close to a rational conversation around increasing density, uh, housing density there, and there have been instead. Uh, very fast pass measures to sort of like turn parking lots into homeless encampments uh, for families living out of their cars. Um, the amount of political will and public will to organize around the profound economic sickness that is all related to the same disparity issues is is the problem. You know, we could talk about it as almost anything, any specific Bill, but the problem remains the ability for those who have to be able to admit that at this moment, the community that they love, that has a tremendous tradition for signaling to the rest of the country appropriate, like next, the appropriate next steps for the culture and our politics to take, cannot figure it out right now. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And now you brought this point up earlier when you said Stanford, Berkeley. The ego of being in the Bay Area is one of the biggest driving forces of what mm-hmm. brings up value. Being near Stanford mm-hmm. University or mm-hmm. Berkeley, I mean, every all over the world, globally, when you think of it, you tell somebody that's coming from India or China or Germany or Russia to be near Stanford University, oh my God. I can't remember the numbers on this now, but like when I was starting there, the amount of Stanford staff that was commuting from over two hours away to be able to work there was, sh- was shocking. You know, I, the, guy who, the guy who used to run one of the, the sort of food spaces near the law school 
would come from Gilroy. Well, you know, well, so you yeah. have this, you have this sort of like upstairs downstairs problem perpetuated at Stanford. Then you have graduates leaving Stanford with a tremendous amount of debt and economic potential. And of course they don't go into like a bunch of like public work and justice work. And of course they're not solving the world's problems. They join a tech company, you know, 50% of Stanford's graduates are CS makers. Mm-hmm. And not, they, you know, they just instituted an ethics, a mandated ethics class for CS majors. Now, congratulations for that. But like <laughs> that, that's, it's long overdue that people entering the tech industry have the civics, and humanities background to be able to design for the society that they live in. What do you think of Gavin Newsom's idea as a tax on the uh, Google and Facebook? In other words, it, it's kind of like a dividend tax back to the uh, back to the, the citizens. He's talked about something of, of of putting a taxation on Google or Facebook, and I think he said the equity was to give it back to the citizens of California. You know, because they're taking your technology. You know, you could argue when you give your email away. I mean, you know, you you give it away. Um, my industry, in the real estate industry, did you realize there is no such thing as a multiple listing service, really? The multiple listing service is an independent company that we as realtors hire. And guess what? On our multiple listing system, we're selling clothes now. And these people are, you go on my multiple listing. Now, what I say when I put a listing in the multiple listing, I say I give it up to Redfin, Trillia, Realtor.com, any subsidiary. So the company that I'm paying quarterly for my multiple listing service is selling everything that I put on there. They're selling the data, and I have no right to do it. And now sometimes they put the data on other other platforms, and it's inaccurate. It's inaccurate, you know. So I, you know, I mean, we've 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 been dealing with this for th- this question for a long, long time because for for longer than we know, there's been a ton of third party sharing of our data, whether it's on your MLS platform or whether it's on um, Facebook or Google or wherever. Um, and the, you know, we, there are a number of people in the book who are super articulate about this, probably more articulate than I could ever be, but like the, the, it's in a, the attention, uh, marketplace, the marketplace for our attention and our activity, um, has a tremendous upside for these companies. And we're beginning to understand what the downsides are now, France. And I think England, France is, I think instituted it. And I think the UK is, is considering implementing, attacks on this kind of like third-party data usage so essentially what's your thought on it what, what do you, what do you I'm, think it's I'm, I'm incredibly in favor of it i'm i couldn't be more in okay. favor of it i i mean yeah I, and i also couldn't be more in favor of it. my issue overall in terms of the argument that the tech industry has been making about its economic success is that it hides um the costs to us and it hides what's really being done so if you look at a company like uber now now, we could begin to talk about all the third-party data usage of Uber, and that's all important as well. But let's just talk about Uber and its fundamental sort of like market strategy. It, it is doing something that's no different than a taxi or limousine company. But it, had, it argued that it occupied some sort of nebulous, unregulated space in the market and wasn't responsible to carrying the costs that any of these other companies did, whether they operated in San Francisco, New York, or anywhere. 
And so as a result, they got to speed to growth, speed to um, speed entry to market, undercut costs, undercut price, undercut all their competition that were, frankly, hamstrung by regulatory obligations. And then, and then we all wake up sort of, uh, you know, seven to 10 years later, realizing what we've built and the problems, not just culturally at the company, but the problems in terms of what it's done in terms of pay fairness, in terms of insurance equity, in terms of the fact that like, mo- frankly, most taxi systems in most cities had specific emissions regulations, had specific, um, uh, paratransit regulations, none of which Uber had to sort of comply with in any way, and all of which undercut the sort of stability of those systems and those public resources. All of which we invested which, in. Do you know what I mean? All of which we invested yeah. in as citizens. So there's this what, sort of like perversion. I think Facebook and Google are the same thing. They are broad, part of their business is broadcasting. Part of their business is a media company. Absolutely. And the fact that they're not what held you, to the same FCC obligations and wow. you know, a television channel or a movie company is shocking. So those that's where I get that's right. where I have issues with this whole system, which is like I want all of them to succeed. I want this economic activity to be happening, but I, I don't want us to hide the fact that the miracle is in part regulatory arbitrage. But so you so you that's a that's a great point. That's a great point, Carrie. And 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 I actually I've never thought about that before, but you bring up something. Do you feel that these tech companies and a lot of the new ideas as far as these the, these new innovations are actually finding kind of opportunities that are un, that these paths have never been uh, you know focused on before so they actually can blaze this trail and they can take advantage of something because they're really the first in line or they're 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 really approaching it a different way it, you know so they're not really aligned with these some or other regulations like you said so they can actually get ahead and the rest of us are sitting stuck in the system trying to beat our heads against the wall to try to get ahead but here they come up with an innovative idea they 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 create the platform and they really control it cuz they're one of the first people involved but no, I, you know, that, let me just make clear. Yeah, let me that, make clear yeah. the argument I'm making, though. Like Uber didn't, I think, invent a new idea. Uber said that you could order a car by your phone rather than by your by pushing a button on your phone in an app rather than making a phone call. That's mm-hmm. what they did, or, or or raising your hand in the street. That's the innovation is just using an existing technology that they didn't invent. That's invented, you know, the the internet, the apps, the coding languages, all those things. Are, are built, they, they stand on the shoulders of giants, some of which are private sector giants, some of which are frankly public sector giants, because half that stuff got built through invent, uh, investments in DARPA and any number of other things that wanted to make sure that there was a sort of thriving internet in the U.S. Um, that, the business. So the business model isn't, isn't fully a new idea. The business model is in part a very old idea that should have Good been point. regulated under should have been regulated according to existing regulations and because it wasn't uber uber got to displace an amount of economic activity that was you know there's a lot that was broken in the cab cab system at the time but people were able to invest in a long-term career on fair terms in a regulated marketplace and that stopped happening as a result and you had people making under, under minimum wage working on working for any of these sort of gig, gig economy companies. And what you're also saying is there's no regu- there's no regu- there's no regulations to address these questions. And the sad thing is 
that our government, our Congress and our Senate, unless they have some young staffers that are understanding what's going on, it's rather embarrassing to watch on television your Congress people and senators asking questions which really to them make sense, but make no sense to the, the real core problem. What we have is regulating safety on cyber, um, on, on regulations for communications, like you said, whether, whether Google or Facebook um, are actually a broadcasting company or from our standards and day and age, a television which has strict regulations on how what they can assimilate in what they can put out at what frequency. This is this is a new road to pioneer. It's it, it's a new road. And look, I, I mean, I, I think there, I think some of the sort of like the realization and liberal arguments about the the freedom that this technology should have had to be able to operate and innovate isn't fully unfounded. But we have to recognize that it came with costs. And one of those costs was we chose not to, not in all cases, there, in some cases there was no regulation, in some cases there was plenty of regulation, but we just didn't apply it to these companies. In other cases, um, we allowed these companies to grow and grow and grow at a pace um, that means that they are now significantly challenging to um, unwind fully. And so some of the arguments about breaking up uh, via antitrust, these companies are coming right right before it may be too late, before these companies are sort of too large and too integrated to go in concern for them to be um, unwound according to current antitrust law. So you may have to rewrite some of antitrust law to be able to do that. All of this has happened. Woody. So we, we, we neither regulated nor did we tax significantly the business position. Mm -hmm. That's why I think the Twitter tax break in San Francisco was and and its ilk throughout the Bay Area have been so troubling is if we're not going to tax the companies and we're not going to regulate them, how are we going to guarantee that we're collecting the money necessary to reinvest in the public to manage the offsetting <clears throat> crises that are coming from the inequality that this amount of economic so quickly creates? And we're just going to do neither of them. I don't know what we're talking about doing. I don't know why we aren't I absolutely I, agree. Absolutely, so agree. I agree. I agree. That that's that's where and 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 you're beginning to hear. You know, that's, I also thought thought the Prop C conversation was fascinating, not just because of its own internal dynamics, and not just because Jack Dorsey and Benioff got into an argument about it, but because I think what you heard from Mark Benioff was the 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 cry of a native son of San Francisco in the region, saying. I, I can no longer in good conscience look look at the city I grew up in and the city that I consider to continue to call home and the city that I claim that I'm doing good in and not be taxed greater to invest in the homelessness crisis and the human rights crisis that is a I think you're going to begin to hopefully off the back of that see greater willingness by him and a couple of other people to argue for uh, taxation as a solution to this. Then, what what I what I think we don't want to get too comfortable with, though, are the sort of performative philanthropic gestures by Facebook and others to create a sort of like private entity that would address these issues. 
on there. Well, this, this kind of goes back to my core question. Core question, core yeah, question is, Facebook, Google can give, uh, I, I think what we need to do is charge some taxation. But Facebook has put 50 million in the Bay Area, uh, or what was it, a billion dollars in the Bay Area in housing. But is that housing just for Facebook? Or is it for Google or whatever no, it is? I mean, it's, it's so, not for so, Facebook, so it's, it's not for Facebook but the thing, the thing to sort of recognize about, the reason why I think we need to be get, get back into being comfortable with taxation as Americans um, after, you know, decades of the Reagan consensus telling us that it was stifling business activity is that, that we need it. We need its um, legitimacy. We need it. We need it as a cry from public consensus to say this is what we need and this is what it means to live in a society together. Not because we don't like business activity or, or because we're angry at tech companies or we're punishing them or we're doing anything like that, but because we know where we're headed as a community and we know where we want to invest in. And so we're confident that we can turn to businesses that come from our local roots that have benefited from the society we've organized here. And we're confident we can turn to them and say, we need more money from you to be able to make the kind of society that continues to produce the kind of environment that you find so lovely to live in and to build businesses in. And, and we can't, I think it's lovely that Facebook wants to create a philanthropic endowment for this to address housing. I think it's lovely that Google wants to do something similar. And I think the amount of money that they want to put into it is laudable. They'll probably still underneath the scale of what we need to be able to attack the crisis. But those are private companies creating, mm -hmm. or private individuals, um, creating private entities to be able to address public questions of public concern and i welcome the work that they're going to do with that but we can't think that it replaces the need for us as citizens together to be able to direct where housing is going to go in our community because the minute that mark zuckerberg or facebook's as a corporate entity or google or larry or sergey or whomever believe that housing can only be solved a single way and disagree with any number of others, regardless of whether it's evidence-based or not, if it lacks the public legitimacy of that, there's, a, there's going to continue to be this rift between the very, very wealthy in the Bay Area and those and almost everybody else who don't have the ability to participate in community decision-making together. That is so true. That is so true, Carrie. And from my experience in quality work, you have to engage the people at the front lines. You have to engage the cities. You have to engage the localities to be a part of the solution. And if you're just deciding, well, we're going to solve it by doing it this way, and there's all these strings attached, there might be an issue with that process. I mean, and there will be downstream effects that happen. And are you really going to solve the problem? So these are valid questions, valid points. In terms of the front lines, but I want you to take on also the reality that like the front lines are changing significantly because of the economic mm -hmm. pressures. And so right. some people who are coming out and protesting who mm -hmm. can, but they're, you know, the, the infrastructure around organizing, around organizing around labor, around organizing about around racial and ethnic equality, any of the prior um, networks that previously existed are getting fractured as people are being displaced to communities that they don't understand, no, neighborhoods that they're not familiar with, and being disconnected from the networks that are significant to them. 
And uh, so, you know, one of the stories in the book that's being repeated over and over and over again is the idea that, like, people were strong when they, when they were in their neighborhood that they knew, when they were surrounded by their communities. And one of, one of the things that has happened because of the displacement that, that's occurred, whether it's, you know, a, a Google bus protester, whether it's a family, uh, you know, a large multi-generational family trying to sort of, like, continue to hold on, whether it's black families that have been f- fragmented and sort of run from the city. Um, whether it's can I pick uh, on the can I pick on the can I the ability for them to organize now has been significantly weakened because Carrie, of I wanna, how quickly the community has changed. Carrie, I want to pick on the Google, Google Google bus for a minute because I think this is real important and it says the bureaucracy question we have. Google buses, if realistically, from everybody I've talked to, are half empty. Now I'm going to show you a minor example in the city of Foster City. We have a Jewish community center. 31 of those people all come from the East Bay. They have difficult, they run the whole center for a, a center of 5,000. Okay, now I said to Paul, the CEO of the Peninsula, why don't we team up with Google and see if your, your people in the East Bay can get on the bus? But the, the, the sensitivity or the answers that I got back from those people were, well, somebody might share a secret. Or we, there's insurance liabilities. We kind of have to find a solution where we collectively work. Even I love those buses. They're half empty. They're half empty. They're, they're, they're not full. The concept is good. I like it. But the bad thing is, is you know, that, that it's not working to the level it should. But there's a, there's a way you could make tax breaks around this. It's been done in the past. It's not a giant mystery. Like, if we wanted the companies to be able to receive a tax break, why don't you build a an important leg of the transit system that we're missing. We'll name it after you and your corporation can benefit from the public sort of the public optics benefit of having created this thing. And then the cost of that or something sort of less than the dollar cost, greater than the dollar cost of that will offset because we recognize it's going to create an amount of economic activity, both in the jobs to create it and in the ability to create, stimulate economic activity across that quarter that we're going to be all better off as a result of it. It's hard to do that when nine counties have to all consent together or like three at least that participate in whatever the transit wing is. It's really, really hard. And so some of these things, I think you're right. There's, there's a tremendous goodwill. Facebook and Google have pointed up a ton of money to try to, I think, sincerely grapple with some of these issues. There's a ton of goodwill inside these corporations. Most of the people who work for them are all good people. Everybody in the book wants to fix this. Mm-hmm. But figuring out how to build structures where everybody can collaborate together, um, particularly while this continues to unravel, is very challenging. And that 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 lack, and then I, I then I just get depressed. <laughs> you know, I get hopeful at some moments because I think we, you know, the the um, closure of the juvenile justice center in San Francisco is an exciting opportunity. I think Prop C was an exciting moment to see the city vote in a direction that was really meaningful. But then you see the, the, the controversy around the placement of the navigation centers, or then you see um, SB50 fail. And I think it's really tough to, to watch the sort of steps forward and steps back and try to figure out, really, are we making progress on these issues or are we not? And if we're not making, it may not be enough of a question of, are we making progress? Are we making progress quickly, quickly enough? Great, great point. So um, uh, with, with that, I, uh, Gary, I, go ahead. Yeah, Gary, I'm Gary I want to say something. 
Yeah. Oh, I'm, I have to run too. I was doing the same thing. Good. Okay. Okay. Right. So, what, 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 <laughs> Carrie, 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 quick question. Um, I've been recording this last conversation for the last forty-five yeah. minutes. I'm, is it okay if we use some of this? Because this is gold. Um, yeah, you're welcome to. We're, you're welcome to use it. And look, I think. Look, it, not not with any caveat, but with but with saying, look, this is the the effort of the book here has been to. I didn't just speak to 50 people. I spoke to over 150 people for the for purposes of this book. 50 made it into the book so that I could build a coherent conversation across them. But not one, there, there aren't significant places of disagreement around the common questions mm -hmm. of, is mm -hmm. this a crisis? Do we need to solve this? Am I personally responsible? Mm -hmm. and, yeah. and I think what the book is trying to share is the fact that there is profound agreement on those questions. And there is profound wisdom in unexpected places in our community. And we, there is too much of this conversation which is happening at a particular level um, or is happening with only particular stakeholders at the table. And we need to begin to recognize that what was so special and created here, what, has, what, what was fought for during the AIDS crisis, fought for by the Black Panthers, fought for by any number of immigrant groups that had to sort of stake their own claim here, fought for by every family that came to the Bay Area, is still alive and needs to be preserved in, in part of this, even though this economic uh, transition is beneficial to somebody. It's by the people, tearing apart by the people. Yeah, it's more by the people, for the people. Great point, Terry. So one of the things that I think is, is one of the things I hope you're seeing in the book and that I hope readers see in the book is that there's uh, poetry and wisdom in literally every voice that's in it. There is. There uh, is. Thanks for listening to this episode of Podcast by the Bay. You can contact us by email at podcastbythebay.com at gmail.com podcast by the bay is a production of bay city communications and is sponsored by liberty realty liberty realty serving the peninsula and surrounding areas since 1986 for all your real estate needs www.liberty-realtyinvestments.com and also highway soul productions www.highwaysoul.com you can follow us on Twitter at Podcast by the Bay as our handle or on Facebook, facebook.com slash podcast by the bay. And remember, you can listen to any of our episodes anytime on any podcast site. Until next time, stay tuned.